Vivante presents e-commerce talks, where industry experts share their insights about the ever-changing world of e-commerce. My name is Marcus Bravo, and today we'll be talking to ex-VP of Markets at Zalando and founder of Digital Spike, Dr. Felix Krayer. This time we have a really special guest, Felix Krayer. Felix, thank you for having you here. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, it's, it's an honor, first of all, because um, I mean, I've been reading through your experience and, and as a marketer, uh, I, I, there's tons of things I would love to ask you. So we're going to try to organize it pretty well and start with, uh, with a little introduction from yourself. I mean, if you can tell us the last 10 years of your life, how they, how they look like. Sure. So, yeah, good to be here. I'm, I'm Felix. I'm a German and have been in e-commerce, mostly fashion e-commerce, for about nine years now. I originally started my career with McKinsey um, as a consultant uh, in Berlin and have been working with a couple of startups, uh, spent over two years with Zalando. And I mean, there's, there's never been a non-heavy growth phase, but that was really a heavy growth phase in 2012 to 14. Um, and was then a managing director with Marco Polo, a German fashion brand, where I was taking care of um, all the digital parts of the business, uh, own e-commerce, wholesale e-commerce, multi-channel loyalty. Um, and then I founded uh, my own company, Digital Spike, last summer, which is sort of a consulting company um, with a bunch of you know, people with heavy, heavy experience from the, from the industry, e-commerce professionals, trying to help mostly, mostly brands, also some retailers in accelerating their digital business. So, I mean, uh, I have to do my job and ask you about Zalando, because I mean, Zalando yeah. is one of the most recognizable brands in fashion and, and yeah. online shopping. And I mean, it, the, the way they grow from a small platform to a behemoth right now is, is amazing. So, um, if you were there through the whole transformation, through the whole growth, like you said, the, the, the rapid growth. So, what do you think played a key part of this growth? Why actually made it happen? Yeah, I mean, Zalando is, is amazing. It's still amazing today how after all those years, they still manage to be sort of quite, uh, quite fast, quite agile, um, and, and still um, grow at a, at, a, at a very heavy, heavy pace. And uh, I mean, the, the time I joined Zalando was, um, I joined 2012. The company was around four years old back then. And um, it was like a steady flow of new faces from all over Europe, uh, building up IKEA tables and chairs every week, and uh, really, uh, I mean, they had a fantastic um, um, track, really, of of, of hiring uh, talent and, and good people into the company. I think it was also back then one of the first companies where you could actually work and live in, in Berlin without speaking a word of German, it's, it's, <laughs> which which is great, you know, um, really international. And I think there's a few factors that. Um, and Zalando benefited from. I, I mean, I think one thing is really big, big kudos to the founders, to Robert Gens and, and David Schneider, um, also Ruben Ritter, who's the third managing director. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they really um, put up pretty bold targets all the time, and they managed to achieve and overachieve them. So they, they really believed in it and in the idea. I think also time was right. To be honest, yeah, it was perfect timing, not only to. Uh, I think back in two thousand eight. It was not a crystal clear case that fashion would become the next big vertical yeah. in e-commerce. Uh, everybody was very skeptical about return rates and everything. And Zalando, they did the opposite. I mean, they they actually uh, the the free shipping and free return was one of the main USPs of Zalando. So they actually uh, also to some extent took away the fear of many first-time fashion e-com buyers. And then I think also time was right in terms of um, the the approach to marketing. I mean, Zalando. Um, uh, was 
one of the really first startups that went uh, for TV advertising big time. They had very loud and very um, different TV campaigns, um, which really helped to boost the awareness for the brand in, 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 in no time in Germany and also in, in other markets. And I think that's something... Uh, If you do it today or even just five years later, uh, no way you would have been able to create such a such a buzz and awareness uh, with TV advertising. Yeah, so there, there, I think there's few factors, um, but but uh, it's certainly a very unique case. I think in in Europe. Yeah? No, for sure. I mean, it, it, and something that it calls my attention a lot is, I was in Berlin last year and um, remember joining a Salando uh, meetup, mm -hmm. and there was like five or six data scientists from Salando. So for me, it was very like, why do you have so many data scientists? Like, what's... what's I'm sure there's more, yeah. <laughs> Probably now, yeah. yeah. I mean, but what is the role that tech is playing in, yeah. the, in the innovation of Zalando? You know, I think the, the interesting part is Zalando never really started as a fashion company. And I think that's the reason why uh, it was so successful, it really also disrupting the industry. Yeah? And it was, in the beginning, in the early days, was a was a performance marketing machine. Mm -hmm. And it was a it, it was a tech company. I think those were the two core competencies that Zalando really had: uh, no logistics, um, no fashion know-how. That was something that was built up um, uh, over time. And um, also, the first people that worked for Zalando, I think they had no clue in in fashion really, but just more about they had an idea of uh, uh, internet business models. They had an idea of um, how you how you work with data, how you acquire acquire customers on the performance marketing side. And then also uh, how important it is to have um, uh, t technology know-how in the company to to really um, uh, grow and, and scale the business. And also Zalando is very famous still today for trying to do not everything, but pretty much everything themselves. Yeah? I mean, they've also started up uh, tech hubs in, yeah. in, in Finland, in Portugal, in other markets. And um, I think that's really the... You know the core belief that tech is the driver of the business, and it's almost like a fashion tech company. That was also a term that was used quite often back so then. So there's almost like tech was beyond the actual product. Yeah, I mean, I mean to some extent, probably yes. Um, and I mean, if you if you told this to sort of the the ordinary old fashioned uh, fashion guy, uh, either from brands or from fashion yeah. retailers. They would all uh, laugh at you, you know. And um, this, this fashion as a core competence is is so deeply embedded in the DNA of most of the of the companies in the industry that um, that Zalando really had a very different approach there that made them also ultimately so successful. I think. And when, when companies, um, I mean, Zalando is already a, a massive name, um, but there's still a lot of startups trying to do what Zalando did or or trying to replicate the model. Um, where do you where do you see that they're actually Moving forward or not moving forward? What, what is there something stopping them to reach the Salando model, or or do you think it's just because the market is 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 full? I don't know. To be honest, if, if there's really, I mean, probably copying the model in some other verticals, mm -hmm. um, you can see that. I think the in fashion, it's becoming more and more difficult to. Um, I mean, Salando is market leader in most of the European markets then. And it's it's going to be more and more difficult to establish um, the same kind of business model besides Zalando. Also because, I mean, you know, especially this approach of really optimizing uh, performance marketing to the max um, is something that was obviously much easier uh, some years ago compared to today where you have... Uh, All brands have their own e-commerce. Um, you have tons of different multi-brand providers. They're all bidding on Google keywords at the same time. Search is moving from Google to Amazon. So it's I don't see the 
um, the potential to to still optimize um, in a field where pretty much everything's optimized everything's done, already. Yeah. So um, I think that to that extent, it's actually quite difficult. Um, if you look at other verticals, I think, um, I mean, fashion being a really big vertical, to be honest, but this idea of being a specialist, let's call it a specialist e-com company, um, might also want to call it a niche, but I think the, the idea is really specialist, um, be it in beauty, be it in sports or special sports categories, yeah, or be it in, in pet food, uh, or pet, any kind of verticals you can think of. I think this idea still works, um, especially when in a world where, you know, for from a retailer perspective, the the biggest threat is obviously Amazon, who is a um, a big box big box everything yeah. store, um, but who, which is not as specialized on on a customer experience in a specific category that has certain needs for all sorts of uh, elements of the user experience. That, that, I mean, that's that's something uh, to me is very key: um, the customer experience. Amazon still looks almost the same. I mean, even though they try Prime and a bunch of different mm -hmm. things. Um, it still looks very similar to what it, what it was a uh, long time ago. Yeah. Zalando, on the other hand, and, and not only Zalando, but the, the experience that you had after with Marco Polo, it was more customer-centered. It was more about the experience. Yes, no, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, it's more customer-centered because I think to some extent you can't be more customer-centered okay. than Amazon. <laughs> um, but it's true that Amazon is more about the convenience mm -hmm. aspect of it and not so much about the... I mean, if you just take the example of buy clothes on Amazon, the shopping experience is much less of a pleasant, pleasant one, and you would also probably be less likely to use Amazon as a as a first destination for discovery. Uh, while if it's for search, it's great. Yeah, and um, I think to that extent, um, that's also a thing where Zalando can still. Uh, stand out compared to Amazon. Yeah? It's just much more fun to shop fashion on, on, on Zalando. Um, on the other hand, everything around convenience, be it delivery convenience, be it customer service and service levels on, on Amazon, but also the sheer fact that um, you have so many different services that sort of create also a login effect. It's not only about shopping, but it's also about, and, and it's shopping in many categories. I mean, you can buy your firewood on Amazon as well as your, your, your clothes. Um, but also in terms of uh, uh, video streaming, uh, uh, you have Audible, you have um, you have Prime Music, um, you have all sorts of add-on services which create a login effect. So I would definitely not say it's not customer-centric. I think it's very customer-centric. But I agree that the the sheer front end, the user experience on the on the side or on the on the in the app um, is much more tailored towards the specific category uh, that a company like Zalando is in on on a page like Zalando. And when you when you uh, when you leave Zalando and try to uh, and move uh, towards Marco Polo, like wh what are the things that you could re easily replicate into a fashion uh, brand like Marco Polo? It's obviously a completely different world. I mean, <clears throat> on the one hand, it's 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 a brand versus versus retailer or marketplace, um, but more importantly, it's also um, it's it's old economy versus new economy to some extent. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think the the good thing about brands as opposed to retailers, I think if you're If you're a retailer today with a um, with a history and a legacy, uh, and you've been out there 20, 30 years ago, most of them are really having a really bad time and really hard time also finding their USP today and uh, just finding any aspect and any argument why a customer should buy from them instead of Amazon, Zalando, and the other other pure players. Um, I think if you look at um, If you look at brands, it's a different story. I mean, brands still have a product; it's their product. Nobody else has the product. It's a, it's a brand heritage. Um, 
So it's it, to, to some extent, it's in a, in a healthier position. Uh, other problems, uh, other challenges. And I think um, what you find in, in legacy companies is obviously a completely different speed, completely different approach also to priorities. I mean, thinking about the, the discussion we just had on, on tech, I mean, look at any fashion brand, and, and Marco Polo is not an exception. I would not say that tech is at the core of their uh, of their skill set yeah. and of, of what they believe is important for them um, going forward. Neither is uh, data, <laughs> working with data, business intelligence, or simply using the data that they sit on. And I mean, brands sit on tons of data. Uh, so this kind of thing, uh, I think bringing a bit of this, um, this yeah, also perspective um, from uh, a pure play company like Zalando is super helpful for, for um, all the economy companies. And also having people, and I'm not only talking about myself, it's also on, on every level, having people on board that have experienced uh, the, the speed and the, um, the agility and uh, the approach of um, young startup pure play companies. And then, um, and then also to some extent, um, you know, creating a bit of uh, a bit of uh, uproar in the organization and make sure that um, that um, the the established companies also get a feel of um, what the speed is out there and uh, how, to what extent they need to change. I think that's 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 very helpful. Now, um, you you accumulated a lot of experiences from from Zalando, from Marco Polo, and from all your or previous um, um, jobs as well. When you bring this to Digital Spike, when you when you create this company and try to, I mean, I like to call it like a full stack uh, consulting services because you're covering everything. But um, like, how how do you approach uh, or companies, or, or also what kind of problems or what kind of consulting companies are needing uh, nowadays? I mean, yeah. what, what do you see companies asking for? So when you say covering everything, it's probably true to the extent that I've, I've been a very much of a generalist uh, management person um, all the last years, but there's certain quite a few areas where I also say this is something where there's much better <laughs> consultancies out there, which I, which I would not cover. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm trying, my approach to markets is trying to, um, you know, um, Obviously, on, on the one hand, to to say to just bring really hands-on experience from the field to the companies, where you say, "Hey, we're not the we're not born as consultants, uh, but um, we have all done it ourselves, and uh, we've been there, and we we know the issues. We know also sometimes we know how to solve them because we have made all the mistakes that you can possibly make. There's something a much better learning experience than saying, "Okay, we have all done it, and we're I'll, all I'll perfect." Save you time and money, yeah. yeah, it saves a lot of time and money. And then, and then I think, um, I mean, the challenge is I, I work with quite a few companies also that um, have been around before uh, before the internet and before e-commerce was was a topic. And um, it's very important to have those two perspectives. On the one hand, to understand their specific challenges, which are much different from a challenge that a, a pure play company or startup has. But at the same time, also um, be very honest with them, tell them, look, um, we understand this perspective and that's why we might have to find sort of different approaches. But the goal and the, the way of doing things um, in the end is pretty much the same because um, if you don't go with the speed of the market, then uh, the others will will eat you. Yeah? So it's, uh, it, it's I think it's very helpful to have those two perspectives um, on on most of those those companies because they are struggling with. I mean, some of them might not be doing very well. I'm working with retailers and brands who, uh, you know, have still a big portfolio of bricks and mortar stores, which is quite a burden these days because they they have to pay rent and uh, they, many of them are losing footfall and also losing money. 
Um, you have uh, really legacy IT architectures where with sometimes even without a person that really has the overview and is driving the technology as, really as, a, as a business driver rather than a support function. Um, and then telling these companies uh, you have to be there where Zalando or others are while today you're here is obviously not very helpful. So you have to, to find ways with them to, to, um, uh, to solve it and to uh, make progress um, despite and given their um, current state and setup. How do you, how you do that? Because I can imagine most companies will come and say, like, we want to be the next Orlando or we want to be the next... Uh, like, how, yeah. What sort of plan would you set in place yeah. or, or what would be the first step that you recommend to companies to, like, look, yeah. before you go global, before you go big, yeah. start by doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think, um, and again, the companies that want to be the next Orlando... Um, I would probably have a hard time uh, helping them achieve their target, to be very honest. And I'm also wondering if that's always the best, uh, the best target for them. I, I think if we take a brand as an example, um, the, the most important question to me is always, what's your USP as a brand? Why has the world been waiting for you? Or why can't the world do without you or the customers do without you? And, um, and I have the experience that many companies already struggle answering this question. I mean, there's obviously an idea and there's a heritage and something around it, but really being, I mean, what if the internet does one thing, then I think it creates massive amount of, of transparency. And um, while maybe 10, 20 years ago, let's say in fashion, for example, it was easy to say, okay, we have a pretty commodity product. Um, we put a logo in, on it, a label, and then we do a bit of marketing around it. That usually uh, would do the job at least for some time. Yeah, I think now... Uh, It's, it's impossible to stick out if you just do a commodity job on, on anything. You have to be special and you have to stand for something and you really have to um, not only have a message but also a product that, that um, stands out. And um, this, I think, is the, the first question before you even start thinking about technology know-how, about digital sales channels, whatever the, the specific question is. Yeah? And once, the, once you work on this with a company, then I think it gets much easier also to to uh, solve all the different steps that you need to solve on the way to, uh, I don't know, whatever the target is, maximizing revenue or, or optimizing profit. Um, then you can't start thinking about what are the right ch sales channels for you as a brand. Then you can think about uh, how do I do selective distribution. Then you can see, okay, when I, uh, I mean, it's not that you say, Everybody has to build up tech know-how. Nobody knows really why, but you have to build up because everybody does this. So then you also have to say, okay, what you need uh, tech capabilities for, who might be the right partner for you if you don't have the resources to hire 20 tech people and you will not find them anyway. <laughs> so that's a bit the, um, I think, the first starting point. And it's not so much about, hey, uh, everybody does own web shop, everybody does marketplace, everybody builds an app, uh, everybody is great on social media. We also need to do it. We don't know exactly why, but everybody but does it, so it seems it. to be the right thing. And in the end, the the result might be the same, so they will end up with uh, social media and with web shop and, and these kind of things, if they don't have it anyway. But um, I think it's much better if you if you develop this from the from the really core and not just as a, we need to do it because everybody does it. Now, um, <clears throat> something that you mentioned about the, the, the human talent Uh, to find the right people for the right uh, operation yeah. or growth or whatever yeah. you have in mind as a, as a, as a, as a brand. Um, there's two ways nowadays, right? You can, you can either spend a lot of time trying to find the right people and hire the right people, teaching the culture of your company, or on the other hand, you can just go and try to, try to outsource everything. Yeah. And obviously you're in the middle of there because people will come and ask you, like, what should I do? Like, should yeah. I uh, 
point me in the right direction of, uh, yeah. of what's my next step. Yeah. How do you see it? Um, I mean, not only convenience, but the pros and cons. Like, should companies yeah. build their own teams and, and spend all this time and effort to get them their own, or just try to find yeah. people with experiences and just yeah. get it done? I think, as, as usual, there's no black or white answer. It really depends. Um, I think, I mean, what I observe is, um, let's say, uh, lesser skills are in an organization in the required areas, the more difficult is it for companies to find the right partners also. Because it does not help if you have five different uh, external partners or a team of 20 freelancers, if you have no one in the company who actually uh, knows, uh, you know, what is the right uh, the right people and uh, what what do they do I really want them to solve I mean also an agency or freelancer is just as good as he uh, has a clear understanding of objective and what needs to be done yeah? so I think um, companies need definitely more and more to um, uh, to work in sort of flexible models uh, I mean they will not find any company will will not find um, full-time employees on every requirement they have, and they don't have to. So they will have to find ways to work with freelancers, externals, whatever. But I think what I often observe is, for example, th there's a lack of, let's say, tech know-how in this case, or tech also resources. And then you just uh, hire an agency or, or hire some freelancers. But in the end, the first thing you should do is you should uh, probably hire a CTO to make sure that someone or a CIO, someone in the company has the head on in terms of tech and this person can then decide, okay, what's the right setup, the right partners, what do we need to do ourselves, what do we need external? And um, this is the first step and then you can do the second step. And I have the impression many companies do the second step before the first and then end up uh, being unhappy with whoever they have um, taken on board because there's no clear communication of objectives and, and, and um, someone holding it all together. So yeah, probably, probably it'll be better to have some sort of a link between what your company means and the company wants to sell towards any group of freelancers or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's it's also um, again around core competencies. I mean I think in the in the not only long term but short to mid term, and let's stick with the topic of tech. It will be uh, has to be a core competency of pretty much any company that's uh, that's uh, producing and selling products. Yeah? But um, is it the right approach now to say, okay, we have to build a hub with 30 tech people tomorrow without really knowing, you know, uh, what kind of profiles we need and what need, we need them for? Of course not. And if you look into those companies, um, there's often, also if you look at the, the board and who's part of the board and what capabilities, um, then you have sort of product capability, you have sales capability, might have good marketing capabilities, but then um, tech is sometimes a support function somewhere under the I don't know CFO or whatever the way where you want to put it, and uh, it's then the people that I don't know repair your laptop, but it's not the people uh, that uh, drive innovation in the company. And exactly, what, I mean, I think I asked you in the beginning like the role of innovation and and yeah. um, and that role towards the future. How how do you envision the e-commerce and retail world? in 10, 20, 50 years from now. Um, I mean, obviously there's tons of tools every day that are happening. A lot of startups um, offering microservices and this and that for companies like, uh, I mean, like any retail company, anyone who's selling a product. Um, how do you envision the future and not only for this kind of um, approaches, but also for, for brick and mortars, for example? Well, how do you see we're going to be buying our stuff from 10, 20 years from now? Yeah. To be honest, 20 years, I have no idea. It's so <laughs> too far away. Um, I mean, I think what you see already today that the, the you know the boundaries and differences between channels will disappear yeah and that's also probably not a 
not a very bold statement because mm-hmm. uh, you see this happening already. So it's not so much about uh, uh, do I buy offline, do I buy online. I mean, today already everything is mobile. Um, I think customers don't want to walk somewhere, see if it's available. And if they're lucky and it's available, take it with them in a, in a big paper bag or whatever. So I think those there, it's clearly not going to be about channels, um, but it's, it's going to be about... Um, um, you know, creating a customer experience that's, and, and I hate to call it omni-channel, multi-channel, because the word channel in the end is not relevant. It's more about um, making sure that you are where the customer is, and this might also be on the smartphone, doesn't have to be in the specific location, and that you actually um, make it as easy, easy as possible for the customer to to run a transaction and buy your product. Yeah? So it's really, it's really a mix of, uh, I'm getting sales, marketing, tech, everybody together to figure out, all right, how is our customer <clears throat> acting towards our brand and, and where are they buying our brand and absolutely and it's I think it's all about thinking from the customer I mean if you if you you can have tons of shitty and I can use the word again multi-channel examples uh, today if you go somewhere and um, you go into a store and um, either the technology doesn't work or um, there's no one who can check if something's available online or they might actually have uh, the wrong incentives they don't want to check because then it's not their sales. Uh, you go there and want to return something. This also doesn't work. Or if it works, uh, you don't get your money back, but you have to find a different way of reimbursement. I mean, there's tons of example why it doesn't work. Yeah, And uh, I mean, ultimately, the technology is all there. I mean, there's no no reason why you shouldn't be able today. And I mean, Amazon does it also with their um, with their stores. You should be able today to run into any store, pick a piece, maybe scan it if needed, and then take it home, and then you're done. But uh, literally, nobody is, is offering this because they're all having trouble um, getting their, uh, their their shit together in terms of uh, systems and and uh, and setup. Uh, it's true, and, and and well, I mean, there's there's tons of companies uh, and brands being created every day. I mean, that's not going to stop. I mean, yeah. even though there might be bigger, big players uh, that took over already the market, but with the creation of new brands and 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 all these new startups coming up with with new things, um, if you have to recommend them something, what will be the first step? What, what like what what do they need to do first? before they move into putting anything out. I mean, I know you talk about the niche and you talk about the, the certain things, but I, I have a brand. What's my first step into moving into e-commerce? Mm. I would say it's, it's, again, a very similar question that I, I asked before. What, what, why has the world been waiting for you? What's new? Yeah, what's uh, If you're really honest, and being honest also means if you listen to your consumer, and that can, sometimes can be very painful, uh, Ask the consumer and find out uh, if it's really the right, and it can be any sort of product. Um, so, and, and if, if it's not, then uh, adjust it. And it's something you should do at a very early stage. Yeah? So it's all about uh, uh, prototyping and MVP kind of approach and, and directly testing with the consumer and then really stop doing things where the consumer tells you at an early stage, I mean, there's no better feedback you can get uh, and, and, um, and change it. Yeah? I think that's, the the opportunities are out there today. It's it's much easier. It's never been easier to do this, and um, brands still take too little advantage of it. Felix, if you have to recommend a good podcast and a good book for the people that's watching, what will be those? Yeah, I'm afraid it's very German. I guess my uh, uh, <laughs> my focus, um, and also as we're at the K5 conference, it's uh, has been quite a couple of quite German days, um, <laughs> which is good and bad. Yeah? Uh, it's a great community. Um, I have uh, my good friend Arman Fazi. He um, 
He recently joined um, uh, the company Fanatics, and uh, he is um, he's very um, had a very popular podcast in in uh, Germany, which was called Commerce Corner. Right. Some of the episodes are also in English, and now he put up a new podcast which is called Fast Break. So it's fast and then break with B R E Y K. All right, right. Uh, just uh, just took his first three or four episodes uh, online. You can also hear me in in one of them, and um, and this is something if you want to get a very diverse perspective on different e-commerce and also more digital uh, general digital topics. Um, this is definitely one thing I can recommend. Well, if we're going to pass, pass the message and then maybe link the, the, yes, our, our audience to go and take a look. Felix, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for Same being here. here. We definitely learned a lot of, from your experience and I hope people back at home, they also did. And um, thank you. We hope to have you again in the show in the near future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to e-commerce talks powered by Divante. Subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or just visit divante.com slash talks. Thank you for listening. My name is Marcus Bravo and see you in the next episode.